0: Did I not tell you it was a scintillating documentary video uh, narrated by Leonard Nimoy? Did you even know that in addition to being an alien, (laughs) he narrates documentaries? So since at least the 1970s, people have been looking for the Garden of Eden. Uh, The Garden of Eden, in case you don't know, it's a place described in the book of Genesis, a place of perfect peace and provision where Adam and Eve uh, dwelt with God Himself. Following their expulsion from this garden, the Lord put cherubim with uh, flaming swords at the entrance, barring them from ever entering back in. And ever since, we've been looking for it. But is the Garden of Eden really even a place we can locate? Some people actually say yes. So, archaeologists and historians and Vulcans say there are clues in Genesis, which actually tell us the garden's ancient location. While the garden clearly does not exist anymore, we can maybe speculate where it was. Some suppose that the Garden of Eden is in the region of Mesopotamia, in ancient Samaria, or modern Iraq. Others suggest that the Garden of Eden was actually located on or near the island of Bahrain, which uh, was apparently at one time a lush place of dates, balmy temperatures. Others suppose that the Garden of Eden is somewhere in Africa, where anthropologists believe that the first humans originated. Here are Adam and Eve in their giraffe form, naked and unashamed. Still others suggest that the Garden of Eden existed more closely to or actually on top of Jerusalem, the capital of ancient Israel. Christopher Columbus believed that he had actually discovered the Garden of Eden when he first laid his eyes on the green coastlines of South America. Speaking of the Americas, you might actually be interested to know that some people think the Garden of Eden is right here in the show-me state. When Mormon founder Joseph Smith traveled to Missouri in the early 1800s, he traveled to Davis County with his followers, which is up in northeast Missouri, Uh, He allegedly received a revelation from God that Adam and Eve once lived on a local hill called Spring Hill, and that he, Joseph Smith, had been led to the very stone on which Adam offered his first sacrifice. He called the place Adam-Andi-Aman. Millions of Mormons believe that Jesus' return will take place on this site in our state, which explains why the Mormon church has actually purchased thousands of acres around the place. No price is too high for what might actually someday be the actual location of heaven on earth. Now the question of whether or not the Garden of Eden is a real place and where it was are questions that have fascinated people for centuries. And there's certainly questions worth asking, but they're not nearly as important as the question I wanna talk to you about this morning. Not where was the Garden of Eden, but where is it? Where is the Garden of Eden? And I actually think you might be surprised to hear the answer. We're in week two of our current series here at Rooftop. It's called Chapter Two. It's a slow walk through the story of the Garden of Eden, Genesis Chapter Two. We're studying the early chapters of Genesis because uh, these chapters are just so foundational to our understanding of the overall story of the Bible. But they're actually not necessarily uh, stories that we know that well. We've turned the early chapters of Genesis into debate texts instead of words that God has given us to meditate on and be changed by. Last week, we talked about how the two stories of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 might relate to each other. We also talked about what it really means that God made man from the dust of the earth and what it means that we are clay pots, This morning, I want to just keep rolling and talk about the Garden of Eden itself. Let me go ahead and read to you our passage. It comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. The Lord might have something to say. Decline. I don't know what I just did. Now, (laughs) let me read to you the word of God. (laughs) Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river, that's the Euphrates. As is our habit, let's go ahead and pray and ask for God's help as we hear what he wants to say to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for trying to speak to us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. In many mysteries and in ancient stories, requires us to open our minds, ears, and eyes Bless our study this morning. We'll pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so the first thing I actually want to point out is actually somewhat minor, but the garden is not named Eden. It's planted in Eden. Genesis says that the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So Eden is an unknown region of the world that is somewhere To the east, who knows where, maybe Vandalia, Evansville, who knows, to the east. We don't know where it was, but the word Eden actually means delight in Hebrew, so maybe that place is Delight, Arkansas, which is the home of Glenn Kimball. Either way, I'm sure Eden, wherever it was, to the east, delightful place. What of the garden itself, though? Genesis describes this garden as a place with trees that were pleasing to look at and good for food. He also says that there were two trees at the center of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We'll talk more about those trees in subsequent weeks. The author also says that from the land of Eden flowed a river that watered the garden. Interestingly, the river actually did something that rivers generally don't do. It split into four headwaters. It fanned out. Probably you remember from school that most rivers don't split, but they combine. The Mississippi, Missouri, Merrimack, uh, all combine here in St. Louis, along with the beautiful River de Pere, that scenic, beautiful waterway that I drive by and look out onto every morning and smell its fragrance, Now we're not sure how these rivers in Eden like split, nor are we even really sure which rivers they are. Uh, We know the Tigris, we know the Euphrates, these are modern rivers that flew through Iraq into the Persian Gulf. But as far as the Pishon and the Gihon and the lands of Cush and Havilah, we just have guesses. So this passage in Genesis is clearly a very old story with names of rivers and places that we just don't have access to anymore. Theories abound, of course. The Pishon and the Gihon could refer to the Nile in Africa or a stream in Jerusalem or the Indus or the Ganges or to some other waterway that has since disappeared by changing geography. We we just, we just don't know. But I don't think we need to know because it's not the historical details that matter so much about Eden. It's what they represent. You see, behind the details of this place what is the author describing? The significance of the garden is not found in which region of the world it was in or even what rivers flowed out of it. The significance of the garden is found in what it was meant to be. So what was the garden meant to be? Well, several things. First, it was meant to be a sanctuary from chaos. Perhaps you notice that the story happens differently than it does in our minds. The first man wasn't created in the Garden of Eden. He was created in the mucky muck of the untilled earth outside the garden. There were no bushes or shrubs or food to eat out there, there. No, no one to work the ground. Outside of Eden, man still had to deal with drought and deprivation, with chaos. God knew this was a very precarious position for the man to be in, so he brought him in. Brought him in from the sun. Genesis says God put the man there so he could rest among the trees that provided shade and beauty. God gave him sanctuary from the harsh elements that would have made his life miserable and eventually did. The garden was the sanctuary. Also, the garden was a source of life. At the center of the garden was the tree of life, uh, which seemed to offer a way for the man to live forever uh, the man was not necessarily created an eternal being but he was given access somehow to long le- long life in the fruit from this tree and this life it's also symbolized in the rivers which watered the garden and flowed from eden i mean this is what rivers symbolize right water represents life everything needs water I've told you that we don't know all the identity of these four rivers, but the sense we get, the sense we get is that these four rivers are the dominant waterways of the entire region and the point seems to be that all life enjoyed by all lands depends on what flows from Eden. Here's a question though. Where did the river come from? Did it come from a spring in the ground? From rain in the sky. Well, this is where I think this actually gets really interesting. Water flows from up to down, right? The author of Genesis understood this too. The author of Genesis understood gravity. So at least in his imagination, water was flowing down from Eden into the world through the four rivers, this explains why Eden is actually described in the Bible as resting on a mountain. Have you ever noticed that? In the Bible, Eden rests on a mountain. The prophet Ezekiel writes in chapter 28, you were in Eden, the garden of God, but I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God, the mount of God, and I expelled you So in scripture, Eden comes to symbolize paradise and paradise is up on top of a mountain, which explains why the water flows down. But again, where's the water coming from? We could say the top of the mountain, but that's only partly true. And this gets to the third aspect of what the Garden of Eden meant. It was a sanctuary from chaos. It was a source of life. And thirdly, it was a space, a space for fellowship between God and man. So maybe you know that later in the story of the Garden of Eden, we find God walking in the garden, interacting with Adam and Eve. But that's not just incidental. It's actually part of the design of the garden. The garden was designed to be a place where God could fellowship with with man and woman. It's the place where heaven and earth met, where they overlapped. And this makes sense to think that Eden was on top of a mountain, I know this is kind of poetic, but if you're into nature and you really want to meet God, where do you go? You go up. You go up. You go up to the top of the mountain where you are in the skies. It's just part of what we believe the mountains are where the divine and the human intersect. This is why the prophet Elijah, when he needs to see God, where does he go? The top of Mount Horeb. And when Moses wanted to see God, Exodus says, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. Even when Jesus needs to see God, he goes to the top of a mountain to be transfigured. Eden is a mountain garden, And if you remember back to chapter 1, the imagery of creation might help us here. So ancient people really did think that the world was flat and that we were surrounded by waters and covered by a large dome, above which were waters and the divine throne room and God himself. That's how they viewed the world. And this helps make sense of the Eden imagery. In the center of their world was a heavenly mountain from which flowed the rivers of the earth, On top of that mountain was a garden where God and mankind could dwell together. This mountain garden was their in-between space. It was their meeting room. It was their common ground. All that to say, this is actually what's being described in Genesis in the Garden of Eden. An elevated garden on top of a mountain where people and God could fellowship And from which flowed rivers of life from heaven, which watered all the earth. Eden is not some city garden. It's not Matilda Park or Queenie Park or Lowmire Park. It's more than that. It's a sanctuary from the chaos of the earth. It's a source of life for all the earth. And it's a space for fellowship between heaven and earth where God and man can meet. And this is where God put the man. God put the man there because he knew he needed it. He knew he couldn't live very well, to survive very long out in the desert. So God put him in the garden, which makes what ultimately happens so tragic. I don't want to jump too far ahead in the story, but you might know, know that the man's time in the mountain garden didn't last. Soon enough, they were expelled for disobeying God and... Eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the Lord barred them from re-entrance. The man was back in the wasteland again, but not before experiencing, at least for a moment, life in the garden. And this is where I think the story of the Garden of Eden becomes really important and relevant to you and I. You see, we've never been to the Garden of Eden. Anybody been here to the Garden The Garden of Eden, I mean. (laughs) We've never been to the Garden, due respect to Leonard Nimoy. We don't even know where it is. But it's something we've tasted. We've had moments of sanctuary and life and fellowship with God. We've had those moments. We've had that garden moment in a powerful worship song or a beautiful sunset or an amazing meal when we've experienced God's presence and goodness and generosity. We've had garden moments in delivery rooms when we see new life form. We've had garden moments when we see puppies playing on the carpet. We've had garden moments when God showed up to answer our prayer in a way that we just can't deny. We've had garden moments when we felt the veil between heaven and earth grow really thin. When it seems that we are just once again meeting God again in the garden. Have you ever had those garden moments Moments, those moments when, like Adam, we tasted the garden for just a second. Garden moments. I've had those moments. We've had those moments. And we want them back. Especially as we live out here in the mucky muck of the wilderness, we want the garden back. In fact, so much of our history as a human species is actually trying to get. Back to the garden. Our efforts to create paradise on earth are our best attempt to recreate garden like utopias and paradises where we can live in perfect peace. We have a memory, we have a collective memory as people and as a species of what this is like, and we want it back. Sometimes we actually get kind of close. Very soon in the story of the Bible, uh, for example, the people of Genesis tried to recreate the garden experience. Maybe you know the story. The people of Babel, they, they build a big tower. But it's not really a tower. It's probably like a mountain into the heavens. We think they were just building a tower become like the gods, but they were trying to recreate Eden on a mountain. They were building a mountain to the firmament where they could rejoin the heavens. And we understand the instinct. I mean, if you remember where you saw God last, you're going to want to get back there, so let's build up. But here's the thing. You can't build your way to Eden. God needs to put you there. Like Adam, God needs to Put you there. Eden isn't an accomplishment. Eden is a gift. And to be sure, God still wants to give us Eden. Just because He kicked us out, put cherubim by the entrance, doesn't mean He wants to keep us out forever. But while God wants to get us back to Eden, He wants to do so in a way that forms us into the kind of people who deserve to be there and who can live there forever. The entire history of the Bible, in fact, is the story of God's plan to form a people who can live forever in delight. Now, how does God do that? How does God form a people who can live forever in the garden of delight without getting kicked out? Well, in the Old Testament, he does that primarily by keeping the memory of the garden alive. For example, did you know that the temples in the Old Testament were created to serve as facsimiles of the Garden of Eden? God told the Israelites to build a tabernacle or a tent, then a temple, and then another temple after the first temple was destroyed. So basically three temples in the Old Testament, but these weren't just temples. They were mountain garden facsimiles. The parallels in the Bible between the temple and the Garden of Eden are numerous. I mean, for starters, the temple was built on a mountain, the mountain of Jerusalem. Inside the temple was a large bin of water to symbolize the river flowing from Eden. The inside of the temple was decorated with what? Gold, good gold (laughs) and onyx. The temple was decorated with fruit, and inside the temple were lampstands, which the Bible says were symbols for trees. When God is giving Moses instructions on how to build furnishings for the tabernacle, he tells them to build the lampstands like this make a lampstand of pure gold, hammer out its base and shaft, make its flower like cups, buds, and blossoms. Blossoms on a lampstand? Cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand with cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. These are not just lamps. They're trees. To remind people of Eden, you know, that that place that you went to once God wanted us people to remember Eden. The thing about temples, though, the thing about buildings, they break. They get burned, which is uh, what happened to the Hebrew temples. God wanted to keep the memory alive, though. So God gave us another garden opportunity, this time in a man. Instead of dwelling in the garden, God came and dwelled in a man. The Bible says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. You know Jesus. Hopefully you know Jesus. What you might not have realized about Jesus is that he was a walking garden. Everything the Garden of Eden represented as a place of sanctuary, a source of life, a place of fellowship was available to people in Jesus. Jesus even borrows Garden of Eden imagery when he describes himself. In the Gospel of John, he says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's the river of Eden flowing from Jesus into the world, into us. Jesus is the garden of Eden personified. In fact, this will blow your mind. When Jesus, after he was resurrected and he was walking around on earth, somebody actually mistook him for the gardener. Remember that moment? It's not incidental. Now, of course, Jesus, the gardener, is not here anymore. He was crucified, raised to heaven. But once again, that doesn't mean the Garden of Eden has been closed. You see, the the thing, the, the downside about having one temple as the entrance to the Garden of Eden and one man as the Garden of Eden is that you have one access point. If you want to access the garden, you have to go to Jerusalem or to wherever Jesus was. The temple isn't here, neither is Jesus. So how do we get to the garden? Are Are we just out of luck? Well, this gets to my original question. Where is the garden right now? Right now, where is the garden? I don't want to scandalize you, but Joseph Smith and the Mormons... Might have been on to something. Where is the garden? The garden is in Missouri. Who knew? <laughs> Closer than Davis County, too. Closer than the Mormon Temple out on Highway 40. The garden is right here in the people of Rooftop Church. Yay. Who knew? <laughs> but it's not just here. The garden is up the street at Harvest Bible. The garden is even further up the road at Seven Holy Founders. The garden is out at our Fenton Sister Church Arise. The garden is at the church I grew up in, uh, Green Trails United Methodist Church. The garden is where some of us went to church in college, campus Christian fellowship. The garden is anywhere the people of Jesus are meeting this morning. This was the Lord's plan. He didn't just kick Adam and Eve out of the garden and leave it at that. Well, that was your chance. Now you're screwed. No, he still wants us to live in the garden with him. So he had a plan. He cracked the door of the garden open in the temple. He threw it open in the person of Jesus Christ and now he's made all kinds of entrances to the garden available in all his churches around the world. We are the garden and there's as many ways to get in as there are churches. The church is the garden. I mean, this is what happened at Pentecost. Remember Pentecost? In the book of Acts, Jesus' followers are all gathered together in the same place, wondering what to do now that their Messiah was gone. What are they supposed to do? How are people supposed to get back to the garden without Jesus? God made a way. He opened the door. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind Came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I know that's a weird scene, plenty to discuss, but it's simple what's happening. God's making for himself a garden on earth and opening it up for anybody to enter. God's forming for himself a people empowered by the Holy Spirit who can serve as a place of sanctuary and life and fellowship with God. That's what we are. We are a place where people can find sanctuary and life. We are a place where people can find God. This is why I believe so deeply in what we are doing here at Rooftop Church. We are not just building an organization, not just leading another church. We are offering people access to the presence and the power of God where they can find eternal life. And my invitation to you this morning is to enter the garden. Enter the garden, be part of God's mission to turn the whole earth into a garden planet because that's his goal. That's the goal, to recreate the whole earth into a sanctuary and place of fellowship and life This is actually what the book of Revelation describes. The last book of the Bible describes the new heavens and the new earth as a garden. A garden city, to be sure. It's a city because there's lots of people there. But it's a garden because the story started in a garden, and that's where it ends. As John writes in Revelation, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river to the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. This is garden imagery transposed to the heavenly city. When Jesus brings the new age, the whole earth will be transformed into a garden city. But we don't need to wait for the garden to arrive to make our way back in. You don't need to wait until the garden arrives to enter it. You can enter right now. Right here. Uh, Let me close with a story. I have a very, very faint boyhood memory that I think was a dream. Now, I'm not a dreamer. You may call me a dreamer. I'm not a dreamer. Uh Um, At least I don't remember my dreams. I'm not one of those. But I, I seem to have this dream memory from my childhood that must have been a dream because I just don't remember it actually happening. But it feels so real because it's so vivid. So anyway, in in this dream, I was walking around a beautiful, serene lake with lily pads and flowers that was enclosed by some stately brick wall covered in ivy. The entire scene took place in some peaceful mountain valley. It was quiet, but peaceful harmonies floated through the air, and there were people there. My family was with me, my family growing up, my mom, my dad, my sister, my brothers. It was like a family vacation moment, which we did a lot, but to my recollection, I can't find it in any of our vacation pictures. And we were just walking silently, peacefully, through this picturesque mountain garden scene. That's all I remember. That's all I remember. Walking with my family through a garden. It's the only dream I can remember from my childhood. And whenever I think of the new heavens and the new earth, I think of that. This mysterious dream scene with my family, but I remember it so vividly that it's kind of like I was there. And all I want is to go back. All I want is to see it again. All I want is to know why I ever left. All I want is to know why I woke up. God's inviting you back this morning, back to the garden. He's inviting you to join his church where you can experience the power of his spirit the fellowship of his family. God's inviting you to drink the waters of new life and baptism. God's inviting you to leave behind your fear and your shame in the wilderness where it belongs. God's inviting you to meet him in the garden right now, right here. God's even inviting you to come forward in prayer. It's actually what we wanna give you the chance to do this morning on the second Sunday of every month here at Rooftop. We give you the opportunity to be prayed for by your church leaders. We believe in prayer, Here at Rooftop, we believe that our Father wants to hear what's going on in our lives, what we need, what we want. We believe that God is in our presence, in the garden. We don't have to pray through a priest. We don't have to pray certain words. We can pray to the Spirit, to the Spirit of God right now in His midst. Maybe there's something going on in your life this morning. You need God's help. Come on down for prayer. Maybe you want to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ purchased for you on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit come on down for prayer. Maybe there is someone in your life that you dearly love that is stuck outside the garden and you want God to do whatever he does, put that person in the garden with you. Come on down for prayer. Whatever you need, join us in the garden this morning. That's where we're at. As we do that, Jason's got a song he's gonna share with you afterwards. I'll come back up.